13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let me get our reading at verse 4. 1 Corinthians 13, beginning at verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. And is not jealous. And does not brag and is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. We'll stop our reading there. In our time together in this passage of Scripture, Paul tells the church at Corinth and, I might say, the Church of Reformed Baptist Church of Linaway that there is a more excellent way when it comes to our usefulness in the church. And that way is the way of love. It is somewhat sad that we spend a great deal of time on all kinds of wonderful, glorious truths that are found in the Scripture, and we need to take time to consider and learn those truths. And yet, how often, as churches, have we ignored the greatest commandment given to us in Scripture to love the Lord our God with all of our hearts and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Remember what the Apostle Paul has already said here in 1 Corinthians 13. If I have the gift of, all, of prophecy and know all knowledge or all mysteries and all knowledge and do not have love, it is worthless. If I have the gift of prophecy, think about it, and know all mysteries and all knowledge and have not love, it is worthless. So starting here in verse 4, Paul does not give us a definition of love, but what he does give to us is a description of love which is to be worn by the believer. Paul writes about how love behaves itself and is expressed in the life of a genuine believer. Now he begins with two positive statements. And those statements we have already considered. Love is patient. And love is kind. Paul tells us that that love endures much from others without retaliation. And that love gives much to others without expectation. We take from others without retaliation We give to others without expectation. 
Now, after these two positive statements, Paul follows with what we might refer to as eight negative ones. He sort of hits us upside the head. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It's not arrogant. It does not behave itself unseemingly. Love is not. And this morning we come to take up the first. Love is not jealous. Love is able to look upon others' success without resentment or bitter feelings. Love is able to look upon others' success without resentment or bitter feelings. Thomas Brooks, an old Puritan, says this, Envy tortures the affection, vexes the mind, inflames the blood, corrupts the heart, and wastes the spirit. And so it becomes man's tormentor and executioner at the same time. I mean, when you think about it, envy is one sin which is absolutely unuseful, never enjoyable for anyone who engages in it. Oftentimes, Satan takes sin, and as Thomas Brooks mentions in Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices, he, he so, sort of baits the hook with something that looks very good so that you might be alert to it because you think there's something good that will come from it. However, with the sin of envy, he simply gives us the hook without any bait. So there's nothing really appealing about it. There, there's nothing, you know, sin is pleasurable for a season. There's nothing even re reasonably pleasurable about envy. And yet we engage in it so often. Jerry Bridges says this, Envy is the painful and oftentimes resentful awareness of an advantage enjoyed by someone else. Stephen Charnock says this, Envy is a denial of providence. Envy is a denial of providence. Another has said this, Envy or jealousy fails to recognize that God in His goodness has given gifts to someone else that He has not given to you, at least not in that measure. And as your eye is envious and jealous of what someone else has, it really is a frontal attack on the goodness of God and the providence of God 
by which he gives to others what in his sovereignty he has not entrusted to you. It's an attack upon God's goodness and God's providence when he's given to someone else something that you want, but he hasn't given it to you. And it often happens, doesn't it? We find ourselves envious of someone who enjoys a better married life. We find some ourselves envious of those who seem to have children who are absolute angels. We seem to be envious of those who get a job promotion that we're are overlooked. We tend to be envious of someone who has a nicer home. We as preachers can become envious when we get together and someone says, oh, we had like 300 people this past Sunday. And you say, well, uh, we had 30, 40. And you're sort of like, wow, why, how come we don't have that? It's a terrible sin. And it is opposite of love for others. And so the way we're going to open up this is by, first of all, noticing the word, the word that Paul uses here. Secondly, we'll give the warning that comes to us. And then thirdly, just a word of application. So first of all, notice the word, love is not jealous. The King James translate this, Love envieth not. The English Standard Version translates it as, Love does not envy. It's the term that's used here in the original is a term that is transliterated into our English word of zeal. Zeal. This term can be used positively or negatively. It can refer to bad desires or, or good desires. Whether it is constructive or destructive, envy depends upon the context. Th this term carries with it the idea of fervent, boil, an intense desire or an intense indignation. It can be used commendably to refer to striving for something or showing zeal for something that, that's good. It, it's used with our Lord in John chapter 2 when he cleanses the temple and he overturns the table and he, and he drives out the money changers and we read, then the disciples remembered that it was written, zeal, and there's our word, zeal for your house has eaten me up. Our, our Lord was zealous. He, he had this intense desire to cleanse the temple. He had a 
an intense passion for the glory and the name of the Father. In Galatians chapter 4 and verse 18, Paul uses this term when encouraging the believers there to be faithful to Jesus Christ. And he says this, it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing. The same term is used that Paul uses here. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 2, Paul, again, writing to the church at Corinth, says this, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I have a passion and a desire for your good. It's what he's saying here. So there is a way in which this term could be used in a positive fashion. But it also has a negative or an evil connotation, which means we can be guilty of evil desires, intense passion that is bent towards evil. This term can be used when a person sets their heart on something that belongs to someone else. How come he has such a lovely wife? How come they get to drive a nice car when I have to go out every week and hope mine starts? How come, and I often feel this, I will confess, how come their kids live so close to them and mine live so far away? Why is that? This term also carries with it the intense negative feeling over another's achievement or success. How, how come they've asked him to do this or they've asked him to do that? How come he gets $40 an hour and I'm barely making $15 an hour? Envy is defined this way. It's interesting because I looked up envy in the Webster's Dictionary. And it was very negative. It never thinks of envy in a positive way. But envy is a feeling of discontent, ill will, because of another's advantages, possessions, and lot in life. A spirit of discontentment. Do you ever have that? What's your response when you live the single life and your friend comes up and says, look, I just got engaged. There's a spirit that says, why, why, why does she? Why, why, why did he? How do we respond when we see some who have 
such good health. And ours is so bad. And we struggle. And aren't we in danger sometimes of just having this sense of life seems unfair? Do you ever get that feeling? Or am I the only one? Life just doesn't seem fair. What do I do when my best friend comes up and says, hey, I'm, I'm retiring next week and I have a full pension. And he's two years younger than I am. How do we respond? What's our reaction to those things? You see, Paul's writing this to the church at Corinth because they needed to hear it. Look over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul here refers to the brethren not as spiritual men, but as men in the flesh. And then he even says, you're like a bunch of babies. Look at verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as to men of the flesh, as to infants in Christ. How, how, do, how do children, how, how do infants react? Well, what do they do when, if you have two or three of them, you have a play date, and you have two or three children there, and, and one of them grabs a certain toy. No one's played with it for hours, but one person grabs a certain toy, one of those little ones grab a toy, and what do the other ones do? Do they say, I rejoice that you found that toy, and you can play with it for the next 15 minutes. Is that? No, no. I want that. Give me that. Give me. Paul says, you, you people act like infants. Go on, verse 2. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy, and strife among you. Are you not fleshly? Are you not walking like mere men? You've got to appreciate Paul's bluntness. You bunch of babies, you're jealous. Why, why have they been jealous? Well, there, there was the jealousy of over leadership. I, I follow I follow Paul. Oh no, I'd rather have this guy. There, there's that jealousy that's going on. There, there's the jealousy of gifts. It's interesting, in, in chapter 12 of, of 1 Corinthians, when the Apostle Paul, I said, I, I believe that verse 31 is not an imperative, but it's indicative, and I do so because he says, but earnestly desire the greater gifts. That word earnestly is our word. You're jealous for the greater gifts. You, you want the more visible gifts. And why, why, why am I just the thumb instead of an eye? How come I'm just a little toe and not an ear? That was going on. And therefore, Paul now writes, and he hits them over the head with, you know what? Genuine love is not jealous. It is not jealous. 
So, so here's the term that Paul uses. The envy, the fervent desires. Not for good, but for evil. That leads me, secondly, to say something about a word of warning. A word of warning. We, we can all be guilty. I, tr- I imagine we have all been, if not still are, guilty of living with envy. And I want you to realize that envy, if I could say it this way, envy is contagious. It leads to other things. So turn over to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. Starting in verse 13, James here is giving to his readers the the evidence of Christian integrity. The, The evidence of being a genuine believer. And in this passage, he is placing a focus upon our behavior. How do we we live in this world? Now back in chapter 1 of James, James gives us the marks of genuine Christianity. And the third mark is keep one unstained from the world. And so James, starting in verse 13, is writing these believers... And he's calling them to live in this world displaying gentleness of wisdom. Look at verse 13. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in gentleness of wisdom. He says you you, you ought to live your life. You ought to behave according to the Word of God. The standard that you ought to live by is not the world's standard of right and wrong. It is God's standard of right and wrong. You ought to be men who walk in wisdom, managing and displaying in your life the Word of God. Walk so that you are an advertisement, as it were. That's that's the language he he uses here. That that you may display good behavior. Let him show by his good behavior gentleness of wisdom. But then what James does is he says, now contrast that with the wisdom of the world. And what that looks like. Verse 14, James 3. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from heaven, but it is earthly, natural, demonic, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. Now, there are several things he says here about living according to the wisdom of this world. He, He first of all describes it and he says, you live with bitter jealousy. Bitter jealousy. 
and selfish ambition. Now, I'm just going to focus upon the first one, bitter jealousy. That, that word bitter means to cut, to pierce, to hurt. It's a jealousy that wants to do harm and wishes no goodwill upon the one upon whom you are jealous. James is writing about jealousy that cannot bear someone else's success, someone else's well-being, popularity, opportunities they've been given. Now notice what James says about this bitter jealousy. He says four things about this bitter jealousy. Number one, it does not come from heaven. There's nothing godly about it. Number two, it is earthly. Their standard of living is by the world. It's the world that directs their lives. It's the world that sort of gives them their thoughts. It is thirdly, natural. It's unspiritual. Such behavior is not directed by the Holy Spirit. His actions are nothing more than just natural instinct. Winslow has written, It is a remarkable fact that the Corinthians church, the most distinguished the most distinguished for its possession of the gifts of the Spirit, was at the same time the most remarkable for its lack of sanctifying graces of the Spirit. It was the most gifted, but at the same time, the least holy community. It was a very gifted community but unholy in their behavior. So it was natural. And fourthly, it is demonic. This has primary reference to an evil spirit or to demons, to those world forces of darkness and spiritual forces of wickedness that we fight against, that we're to put on the whole armor of God that we might stand. This is where bitter jealousy comes from. And the next thing we notice in our passage is the consequence. The consequence of bitter jealousy. And notice what it is. Verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. That word disorder is translated in other places as unstable. Back in chapter 1 of James in verse 8, the double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. It's the same word that's used here in verse 8 of chapter 3. No one can tame the tongue. It is restless. There's our term. Same used here with regard to disorder. James has in mind is that where there's jealousy, there's dissension. There's dissension. There's division. 
And then he says, in every evil thing. One of the consequences of envy, it leads to every evil thing. We're reminded that this sin does not stand in isolation. This is not a benign sin. It's not a neutral sin. It's, it's not a sin that doesn't do anything. It often leads to what? It often leads to things like bitterness, resentment, discontentment, covetousness. It can lead to hatred. It can even lead to murder. Remember the story of Cain and Abel. Let us not take lightly the sin of envy. I think often we do because envy is often something that's more inwardly, that's not quite as visible as other sins. And we think it's not going to hurt anybody, but my friend, consider where envy will lead you. When you look at others and their successes or what God in His providence has brought to them or how they're able to live, which is different than you, it can lead to these things. And it can lead to these things in the church. We're not exempt from them here. And so we must guard against them. Someone has said, Sin, this sin is a malignant disease that spreads its tainted tentacles far and wide. So that's the warning. Beware. Beware. So then thirdly now, notice just some words of application. The words of application... Let me start by saying this. The best of men often struggle in this area. The best of God's people can often struggle in this area. Remember Asaph? Turn over to Psalm 73 just quickly. Psalm 73. Asaph Asaph seems to be a godly man. He wrote many of the Psalms that we read. And yet, listen to his own confession. Psalm 73, verse 1. Surely, God is good to Israel, to those who are in, pure in heart. But as for me, he says, this is, this is my testimony. I, I want to be transparent with you. As for me, my feet came close to stumbling, and my steps had almost slipped. This guy's opening his heart to us. I, I came very close to falling away. I came very close to apostasy. Why? What's going on? Verse 3, For I was envious of the arrogant, And I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pains in their death, and their body is fat. 
They are not in trouble as other men, nor have they been plagued like mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. The garment of violence covers them. Their eyes bulge from fatness. The imagination of their hearts run riots. They mock and wickedly speak of oppression. They speak from on high. They have set their mouth against heaven and their tongues parades through the earth. He said, I got to tell you something. I looked at these people that were very arrogant. I looked at people that seemed to be prospering. They seemed to be doing so well. They weren't struggling with the things that I've struggled with. That They haven't been keeping their hearts. They say whatever they want to say. They get in strives and they have struggles. But, but, but it's no big deal to them. And I saw them and, and I envied them. I thought, why am I keeping my heart? Well, why do I have to experience these things? Why has God not favored me with, with kind providences? Why has God not given me what I thought would be a wonderful thing to have? Why is my health so bad? Why am I still childless? Why do I not have a wife? Why? And we begin to ask, why? Why? And we become envious. And this man confesses, listen, I almost fell. What was the remedy? What was his remedy? His remedy was to go to the house of God. His remedy was to set his mind upon God. He realized, but at the end of the day, you know, I may not have all these things. I may have go. I may go through some providences that are very difficult and and challenging in my life. But at the end of the day, you know what? Who have I in heaven? But you. And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but my God is strength of my heart, my portion forever. I may not have the latest car, but I have God. I have God who does all things well, and I must trust Him. I must trust Him. And so my prayer is, Lord, help me to love those that, naturally speaking, I might envy. The real solution to envy is love. Love to God. And love to others. We have an example of this in Scripture. Remember, remember that king whose name was Saul? He had a son named Jonathan. And one day... Uh, Hebrew shepherd shows up. His name was David. David was a shepherd. He was also a singer. He was a giant killer. He was articulate. He was a poet. He was a musician. He had all kinds of abilities. Didn't he? And Saul didn't like him. 
because of his abilities, he saw David as a threat to the throne. In fact, we read on one occasion that Saul grabs a spear and throws it at David, trying to run it through him. But then there was Jonathan. Jonathan was probably next in line for the throne. We don't know the particulars about Jonathan. Could he sing? Could he play an instrument? Could he fight off lions? Could he win in a battle against giants? We don't know. But we need all this. I mean, you think if anyone would be jealous or envious, it would be Jonathan. Right? I mean, David comes along, man. He looks good. Sounds good. Seems to be a warrior. He, he, he's, got, he's got a song in the top ten. Saul is slain as thousands and David his tens of thousands. I mean, Jonathan isn't even mentioned in the song. But Jonathan is never jealous over David. Why? Well, in 1 Samuel chapter 20 and verse 17, here's what we read. He loved David as he loved his own soul. What was the, if we can use the term, secret behind Jonathan not being jealous of David? What was it? He loved him. He loved him. That's what made the difference between Saul and Jonathan Love. Love. Someone has written, Jealousy is hatred without a cure. And the Bible tells us there's no place in life of a... The Bible tells us there's no place in the life of a Christian for jealousy. So how do we overcome it? With love. With love. And so, my friends, just by way of application, let me say this. If you find your heart envious of others, if, if, it's, if that's the norm of your life, you, you wish things were different, you wish you had a different house, you wish you had different parents, you wish you had a different spouse, you wish you had better health, if you find yourself envious of others over and over again, be concerned because one of the marks of the unconverted is jealousy. Titus 3.3 3, The Apostle Paul writes this, Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, 
to malign no one, to be peaceful and gentle, showing every consideration for all men. Now listen to what he says next. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our lives in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. This is what they once were. It's the mark of the unconverted. Jealousy, envy. And if you're here this morning and, and, and that marks your life, it may be an indication that you're outside of Christ. That you're not a genuine believer. And, and I'm, I'm delighted to be able to tell you, God stands ready to forgive right now. All who call upon Him. All who turn to Him. Acknowledging their sin. And putting their faith in Christ. And so my unconverted friend, I encourage you to come to Christ and to flee to Him. But for my converted friends, can I encourage you? Number one, realize envy is a sin. Mark it out. Don't try to excuse it. It's a sin. And the best way to deal with that sin is to crucify it. Crucify Put it to death. When you wake up in the morning and, and your life hasn't changed and, and you look at others who seem to be prospering and they're not keeping their heart and you're becoming envious of them, ask God this. Just say, Lord, help me to love them. Help me to truly love them. Crucify it daily. Confess it as sin. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And then change. Re turn away from it. Repent of it. And so my friends, I would encourage you daily to con confess it Crucify it. Repent of it. And one of the best ways in dealing with it is not only to pray, God, help me, help me to love those I might envy, but also dwell upon the goodness and the providence of Almighty God. The goodness, the providence, and the wisdom of God. You know, at the end of the day, when we become envious, isn't it true? When we become envious, basically, we are shaking our fists before God and saying, you don't know what you're doing. You're not being good to me. Isn't that at the heart of envy? You may not say it out loud. Who's going to say it out God, you're not wise. But that's often what envy shows. God, you're not wise. As I was thinking about this week, and I had to confess my own sin because envy is 
that ongoing cancer that has to be dealt with and cut out every day just about in my life. But I can remember growing up. I remember growing up and looking at, at families and, and looking at kids who had dads. I remember, I remember walking over to the baseball field where Little League would be going on. I wasn't playing. And I saw kids with their dads out there cheering for them and rooting them on. And I would think, where's my dad? How come I don't have anybody saying, come on, son, I'll teach you how to play baseball and I'll put you in the little league. I, I, I really felt I was shortchanged. I was envious of those who had such. But I bless God now. In many ways, I believe I'm the father I am today to three kids because of what I grew up with. And I bless God for that. It's His doing. Now, I'm not in any way saying, let's be bad dads so our kids will learn to be good dads. But God does have a plan and a purpose that He's bringing about. And we've got to trust Him. So love does not envy. Love is not jealous. May God help us to love as we ought. Let's pray. Now, Father in heaven, we pray that we will take heed to these things and that we would be quick to acknowledge our sin, and that by Your grace and the work of Your Spirit in our lives that we would crucify that sin. Father, we pray that You would help us to love others, not to envy them, but to love them as we ought, so that by our love, Others may know that we serve a God who loves. Loves so much that He gave His only Son. And so, Father, we bless You for that. And so we pray that these things would, would not just be things that we think about for this moment, but You would help us even throughout the week when, when that ugly fruit of sin called envy raises its head that we would chop it off, crucify it, and that we would love as we ought to love. For we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, again, in closing, take your Trinity hymn books, turning to 713. Draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to the cross where thou hast died. 713 in the Trinity hymn book. Let's stand together as we sing.
lunch together, and then about 1.45, we'll come up for an afternoon service, so we'll focus around the Lord's table. Lord's